Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, recapping a wild, amazing, controversial championship Sunday in the NFL. Talk to Bob Irving about recent developments with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and our regular Monday check-in with Leah Hextall. That's all on the podcast. I don't normally lead the show with the NFL recap. I usually do a little quirky thing later in the show, but this is championship weekend. And after the first two weekends of the NFL postseason were largely disappointing, not all that much drama, would championship weekend make up for it? Championship Sunday, two rematches from high scoring regular season games, two top seeds at each conference, highest powered offenses in the league. Oh, yes. Yes, it did. NFL recap. Buckle up. We start in New Orleans with the Saints and Rams. What a nightmare start for the road team. Field goal Saints. Interception. Field goal Saints. Three and out. Touchdown Saints. 13-0 lead. But it could have been more. And after another stop, the Rams punch again. Oh, wait, it's a fake. Just like New Orleans a week ago, down by 14, the Rams reach into the bag of tricks to jumpstart the offense. Turns into a field goal. Rams on the board. And late in the half, another strong drive. LA enters the half down by just three. We got a ball game, folks, but back come the Saints. 12 plays, 71 yards, capped off by a throw from future Hall of Fame quarterback Drew Brees to gadget third-string quarterback Taysom Hill. Okay. Saints back up 10, but ah, the Rams have an answer. A touchdown, a shootout brewing in the big easy. Not really. Three punts later, the Rams drive all the way to the Saints' one-yard line. Their coach, 32-year-old Wunderkind, Sean McVay, will surely go for it on fourth down. Down by three. He's playing it safe? What? Don't call him Shirley? Okay, tie game. And now the Saints are driving for the winning field goal. Will that play call doom the Rams? Breeze deep for Tedgin. 43-yard gain. They're in field goal range. Time to kill some clock. They throw it? Why? All right. Third down, Breeze throws it to the receivers. Crushed before the ball gets there. That's pass interference, obviously. Everyone knows that. Wait. Where's the flag? There's no flag? What? Fans go nuts. Saints protest for good reason, but nothing they can do. Instead of first and goal and wind down the clock, they got to kick a field goal. Rams have enough time to march down for the tie. We go to overtime. Saints win the coin toss, but Breeze has picked a chance to win the game from 57. You better hit this, Greg Zerline. Is he nervous? Nope. Hits the back of the net, splits the uprights. Would have been good from 70. The Rams win. The Saints are completely and totally hosed. So who will the Rams play in Atlanta in two weeks? The team that beat them, or the team that they beat 54-51 earlier this year in the Chiefs, or the franchise that beat them almost two decades ago in the Super Bowl to kickstart the Brady-Belichick dynasty. Chiefs, Pats, and it's all New England early. Touchdown drive, then another long drive. But Tom Brady, for some reason, throws it from the one. He's picked in the end zone, just like Seattle many years ago. But when the Chiefs finally get into scoring range, superstar Patrick Mahomes overthrows a touchdown, then he's sacked. Out of field goal range. 14-0 Patriots at the half looking like a dud. But the Chiefs come out of the locker room and get in the end zone in just four plays. And after a Pats field goal, another touchdown for the Chiefs. And it's 17-14 Pats after three. And then the fourth quarter, which took, I don't know, about four and a half days to complete. Patriots stuffed on fourth and one. But the Chiefs punt. And Julian Edelman muffs it. The Chiefs recover. Or did he did zoom in? Zoom in a little closer. Did he actually touch that bouncing ball? I mean, you can't really tell. But the refs say no. 
But two plays later, a pass goes off the same guy's fingers. He's picked off. Chiefs score. They take the lead. And then the Patriots drive for a touchdown and take the lead. And then the Chiefs drive for a touchdown and take the lead. 28-24 Chiefs. They just need to make a stop. But they left two minutes for Tom. Terrific. That's too much time. Third and ten. Brady's pass. It's tipped. It's picked. The Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. Wait. What? Offside? Rush end end was D Ford was lined up offside. Dude, just look at the ball. Of course, the Pats score on a fourth down to take the lead with 40 seconds left. But the Chiefs aren't dead yet. A pass and a pass. They get a field goal. We go to overtime. Second straight game. That's never happened in a championship weekend before. What a day. But the Patriots win the coin toss. And the Chiefs never touch the ball. One of the worst defenses in the league comes back to haunt them. Three third down conversions. And then a touchdown. The Patriots win. Everybody is sad. Why do they always have to win? It's always the Patriots. Fourth time in five years they're off to the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs, they still haven't been there since Super Bowl four. Let's move on to Leah Hextall, who joins us now. Leah, you had a pretty busy weekend. You called the CWHL All-Star Game for Sportsnet. How was it? It was great, Christian. I think, you know, there was 34 of the top women's players, not just in North America, but really in the world, as there's players represented from almost every continent. And um, it was just, you know, 20 of the 34 were Olympians. So you don't get much better than that. But it was a great spectacle. And we had some great guest coaches. Glenn Healy, Curtis Joseph were our guest coaches. And Jerry D was also one of them, along with Charlene Labonte and Cheryl Pounder, who are former Olympians and players in the CWHL. But we had a lot of fun with them. We had them mic'd up. The players put on a great show. Team Gold ran away with it by a score of 8-4 to four over uh, Manitoba's Bridget Laquette's Team Purple. Uh, so she didn't come out with the victory in her first All-Star game. But it was just a fantastic performance by the ladies. Read something in The Athletic uh, where you talked to one of their authors about saying the word defense woman in a in the broadcast was that something that you you know took some time to think about using or is that something that just came naturally you know what it's in the moment christian it came naturally but the fact is is that ever since i started calling the game it has been something on my radar because every time i go to speak about a defenseman and go to say the word defenseman there's something about me that stops and i go am i saying the right word and I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it until you're calling the game and you're talking about the women's game as frequently as we have been. And and it's one of those things that I'm not really hypersensitive to those type of issues. I always go, you know, I think as a society, we're a little bit too sensitive about those type of things. But I see other people say defender, defense, um, you know, and I just, but I just kind of felt to me, I spoke to a few NHL people about it because I wanted to get some opinions about it. And when I said defender, a lot of them said to me, that's not hockey though. That doesn't feel like a hockey term. And, and I agree with that. I think of soccer when yeah, I hear the I, word I defender. Do too. Yes. And so to me, I know that I've had a lot of people reach out and say, well, it's defender, but to me, it's not, I don't want to say the word defender when I'm describing these women who are defensemen. And then people start getting into the, you know, well, it's human and humanity. And so it can be defensive still in the women's game. And I think that's got a really good point. But it comes, the, the problem is, is that when you say it in certain ways, like the way I used it in the game was that I was 
calling the game and a defense woman for Montreal, Erin Ambrose, she leads the entire league in scoring by defensemen. And the fact was that she was heading down the ice. I wanted to drop in that nugget so that people knew that, yeah, she's a defenseman, but she's got an offensive threat. So I said, Erin Ambrose taking it down the week, taking it down the wing. She's the leading. And I was about to say defenseman leading scored of defensemen in the league. And it just came out defense woman, because as soon as I went to say it, I thought defenseman doesn't sound right as I'm watching these women skate around. So I really, you know, I said to Haley, who wrote the article for The Athletic, because she noticed it right away, I've just been grappling with it because I'm I'm not quite sure what the proper term is, and no one's really stepped up and told me. And, you know, the players kind of go, well, I think all of them are acceptable. So <laughs> I'm kind of at a point where I don't know, but I, I don't know, As what do you think as someone who watches the game? Well, as someone who's called women's hockey and women's sports before I, I feel the same way where what you go to say it is just it's a, it's an unfamiliar word right yes and it's only one extra syllable right defense woman defense men but it's the same thing firemen mm-hmm. policemen all those words that we've kind of gone away from it's not it doesn't feel like there's a wrong answer generally when you're doing a game you don't usually say the position of players right you're normally just yes. saying their names but I don't really I think it's cool to say defense woman Yeah, and it just kind of came out. And I mean, you know, when you're calling a game and you're doing play-by-play, you have to be very economical in your words. You don't want to be saying too much because everything is going by so fast, especially in hockey. So it is that extra syllable. But to your point, I don't have to say it very often. But when I am talking about things like that, she's the leading defenseman in scoring or something like that, that's where it becomes an issue to me. So I don't know. No one, uh, you know, no one reacted poorly to it, but I agree with you in so many ways in society, we've kind of tried to make it gender neutral. So to me, I thought maybe if I say it, is that putting us backwards? So I I might be (laughs) overthinking it, but it came out and it came out and it felt very natural. And I didn't even think about it. And I think I said it probably, you know, I only had to say it about twice in the entire broadcast, but Mm -hmm. I did say defense woman. And, um, you know, nobody seemed to think that that was the wrong thing to say, so it may come out again at some point. <laughs> and it is still quicker to say that than to say she plays defense or... Exactly. So it's only one extra syllable. Uh, yeah. I, did you get a chance to watch the Jets game Saturday night? I did. I um, I actually came in right at the good time because I was just, I was down at the Sportsnet studios because we had the CWHL, they had their draft for the All-Star game, so I was down there covering that, and then I came up, and it was Three nothing, but it was right when the Jets started to charge back in the third period. And then I got to see the rest of the game, which turned out to be quite an entertaining game. But I know the first two periods I was standing there. I said, how are the Jets doing to Elliot Friedman, who was <laughs> one of the commentators for hockey? And he says, oh, they're getting killed. <laughs> and I was like, what? So, yeah, but I hear they had a pretty slow start in the first two periods, but I did yeah. manage to see the end of it. It was kind of the tip, you know, they have these games once every four or five outings where they play one good period. Um, but really, it, you look at a team like the Jets, they're still in first place. They're on their break now. They just come off back-to-back wins over Vegas and Nashville. Dallas was coming off a 1-5 and five stretch. They're hungry to win at home. I'm really not surprised that they didn't come up with their best effort Saturday night. No, and we talked about this on Friday, Christian, and you had mentioned that you know if you lose to Dallas 
on Saturday before your bye week, does that sit with you? And I found it interesting, Blake Wheeler's comment saying, the only thing I'm going to mull over on this break is the fact that we're first in the central. Mm. And I think that really says everything right there. So, I mean, you come in, it's a bit of a letdown of a game, but I actually flip it around and I know that they took the loss, but the fact that this game, they're down three, nothing. And they could have easily just mailed it in because they were going on their break because they are first in the central, but they don't do that. They almost come back and take it. And to me, that says more than anything we need to know about this team and the character on it and their will to win. And the fact that eventually skill will take over once it starts working. And I thought there was a lot of good performances and a lot of highlights to take away from that. I mean, the fact that, you know, you see Brendan Lemieux get another goal, also got into a fight. He almost had the Gordie Howe hat trick. And then Kyle Connor got his 100th career point. And he's, you know, he's just had great success against Dallas this season as he has for so many teams. And so, and then Connor Hellebuck played quite well as well. So, I mean, when you, when you look at all the good things in that game and the fact that they almost pulled it out, it almost says as much as if they went in there and just blew away a team in Dallas that hasn't been playing their best hockey. Do you think the players change the way they play or there's a certain elevation because their dads were in the suite? (laughs) Yeah, it was the guest trip, which I think is just fantastic for the Jets. I mean, um, I, I have to say I really enjoyed the mom's trip that was done by the Leafs not so long ago. I'd like to see all the teams get into I that one. Totally but I totally agree. I, yeah. Or the billet trip, I think, but Ooh. I think that's why the guest trip is so cool for the jets because you can choose, you know, if you want to bring your brother or your dad or so you do want to bring a billet who was instrumental in your junior career and you're still in touch with. So I like the guest trip idea, but um, the fact is, is that I think, and I don't know about you, Christian, when you were playing sports growing up, hmm. but I, always played harder when my parents were in the stands. My parents, you know, they both worked full-time jobs and they couldn't be at every game. Um, Like so many people's parents, it's very hard to do. And when they came to watch me, it gave me that little boost. And I think that everybody wants to perform well in front of, you know, whether it's their dad or their brothers or whatnot. But at the end of the day, I think as soon as those players being professional athletes that you step on the ice, your mentality just switches and you kind of forget that there's even, you know, what how many people in the audience watching you so i think you kind of forget about that a bit but i think it's a great trip and i love that they do it trying to remember my athletic days of high school and i didn't come to a lot of high school stuff just because the geography of it but in minor hockey i'm pretty sure i was worse when my parents were there i think i was nervous yeah i was more afraid to make a mistake i think because i knew i'd get yelled at afterwards yes i actually with my dad i would probably say the same thing is that when i didn't really think about it but when i would like i remember just in my baseball a couple times i had a ball that i missed the cutoff and Mm. as soon as i missed the cutoff i was like i am so gonna hear about this all the way home from my dad (laughs) it was usually hockey and i'd make a mistake and then the car ride would suck and that's part of why i quit hockey after grade eight but (laughs) well there you go Let's talk Bombers now with the voice of the Blue Bombers for 680 CGOB, Bob Irving. Bob, how has your offseason gone so far? It's gone very well, Christian. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Uh, We were able to get away for a while and enjoy some warm weather back in uh, Winnipeg right now. And I thoroughly enjoyed those two NFL playoff games yesterday, as I'm sure you did. Mm -hmm. I, I can't recall the last time the two conference finals 
were as exciting and dramatic and as controversial as those two games yesterday. Absolutely. And the the almost unprecedented ways that these games shifted and they yeah. lasted forever. They were long, but I never felt like, oh, this is lasting forever. It just, you get so sucked into it after the yeah. last two weekends were kind of just okay. These yeah. were fantastic. We'll get to the NFL in just a moment. Want to start with some CFL with you, Paul Apolise. Uh, it yeah. was expected after Chris Jones left the Riders that Paul Apolise would get a phone call from the Riders to interview for that head coaching gig. The Bombers say uh, no thank you, and that is within their rights, correct? It is within their rights, and every team has it within their right, uh, Christian, if they have a coach under contract to not allow them to talk to other teams. It's standard procedure in the league for teams to allow assistants to speak with other clubs about head coaching jobs. Uh, I guess the complicating factor here from the Bomber perspective was that it's gotten pretty late into the off season, and they just didn't feel that uh, they wanted to you don't have to search for a, an off, a new coach now at this point in the off season. And I think you could argue this from both sides. If uh, Paul Apolise feels that he's, you know, not been given a chance to interview in Saskatchewan and is not happy about it. I can certainly understand that, but I can see the bombers point of view as well. You know, they've got a pretty good thing going here and they've great, great hopes for 2019 and Paul Apley's a big part of that, and to lose him now would uh, would really be a blow. So, I don't know, I, I can see both sides of the argument here, but the Bombers did what they felt they had to do, and they've denied him permission to talk to the Riders. And the reality is, good offensive coordinators don't usually stay good offensive coordinators. They usually become head coaches, and probably fair to say that that is coming again for Paul Apley sometime down the road, if not just this year, but maybe in yeah. a year or two. Well, he wants to be a head coach again. He's told people that ever since, uh, you know, he was let go by the Bombers a few years ago. I think every assistant uh, or most assistants aspire to that, and Paul has certainly made no secret of that. He's also been quite uh, happy here working as the offensive coordinator. He's uh, well looked after by the Blue Bombers. He's living with his family uh, right close to home here in Winnipeg. So there's a lot of good things about being in Winnipeg for Paul Apolise, but certainly down the road, I know he wants another shot at being a head coach, and he deserves to get one. What does uh, Jackson Jeffcoat mean to the Bombers' defense? A lot. Uh, he was their best defensive lineman, their best pass rusher uh, toward the second half of the season. Christian, he was hurt and missed some games, but boy, uh, when he was healthy, especially as the season went along, uh, he really came on strong. And in the playoffs, he had four quarterback sacks. Uh, he's 28 years old, and I, I think he's really about to become a, you know, a top-notch quarterback sack, pass rush, defensive end in this league. If he, in the minds of a lot of people, he is already. I know the Bombers view him that way. But if he can put together 18 games, stay healthy, I think he'll have a tremendous impact for them. He was a top priority uh, when you list the, the players they. They really want to re-sign, and there's a lot of them. Uh, he was, I would say, in the top four or five. Adam Big Hill was at the top of that list, as we all know, but uh, Jackson Jeffcoat wasn't far behind, so this is a real good get for them today. Still close to about 20 pending free agents that they could re-sign. They're not going to sign all of them. They're going to try to sign most of them. Who's still left, maybe like the top two or three on their board that they really want to look after here before free agency begins? Well, I know they want to get Javon Santos Knox done if they can. Um, Brandon Alexander in the secondary. Now with Chris Randall gone, Alexander really had a strong year in 2018. Here's a, he's a player that they they want back. 
the offensive line was viewed by just about everybody as the best O-line in the CFL, and you've got two key cogs in Suk Chung and Matthias Gosen who have, you know, yet to resign their free agents, and I, I know the Bombers would like to get both of them. That's going to be a challenge. I think it's it's a challenge to resign everybody because of the cap, and when you have to lay out some pretty good money for Big Hill and then for Jackson Jeff Coat. Uh, you know, the the funds do run out at some point. So those are a handful of the ones, Christian, I would say that they've prioritized. Taylor Loeffler is another player you'd like to have back. Uh, there's, a, I think, a feeling that he may wait for free agency. I think he will for sure. And there might be a team in the league that offers him some money that the Bombers just aren't comfortable matching. But that's another player who's been a pretty key part of their defense. So, there's a handful of them, and as you say, there's there's close to 20. Weston Dressler is another player, and I don't think uh, there will be a big market for Dressler. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure the only team that will have an interest in, re-signing, or in signing him is the Bombers. They would like to have him back, but on their terms. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy, and we all know this now at his age, he's just uh, it's been a real challenge for him to play 18 games. So I think if they can get him back at the right price, They'll resign Weston Dressler. He's a real leader too. He's one of those sort of glue guys in the in the locker room, and uh, one of those vets who can show other players the way that every team loves to have. So there's a handful of them. Let's pivot to the NFL now. You you don't have a team that you cheer for, but I imagine you admire the greatness of the Patriots greatly. Well, I do, and I, as a matter of fact, I was cheering for them yesterday. I I really like Tom Brady. I, man, he's just so good. And what he did yesterday, he's 41 years old, Christian. Man, oh, man, he's hes just committed himself to being so good for so long and his lifestyle and how he trains and everything. And there he was, you know, leading those rallies late in the game, uh, completing three third-down passes uh, in the overtime. You know, he threw for 300 and was it 348 yards, uh, you know, in cold weather, in a a tough place to play in Kansas City, uh, he was fantastic. And uh, you know, the Patriots. I've heard a lot of people say today they they got their share of breaks, and they certainly did. Uh, that roughing call that they called against Kansas oh, City on Brady, which was a phantom call. Uh, I think on that play, the referee who called it was standing behind yeah, Brady. Yeah, in a bad angle. Young, yeah, I saw the arm come down and thought, well, you know, he must have hit him in the face mask or something, but he didn't. But, you know, they had over 500 yards of offense. Mm-hmm. The Patriots had over 500 yards of offense. So any team that can do that on a cold day in a on the road, uh, they don't have to apologize for winning the game. Uh, you know, I think they outplayed, badly outplayed Kansas City in the first half. Mm-hmm. Should have been ahead by a lot. They rushed for 176 yards. They were just really impressive. And still all of them. Having said that, Kansas City <laughs> nearly came back and pulled it out. Boy, young Mahomes, after a tough start, did he ever show his stuff in the second half? He's he's the real deal, mm-hmm. for sure. So, uh, yeah, if you're not impressed with what New England has done, you don't have to like them, but if you're not impressed with what they've done, then, you know, I, I think you're kidding yourself. Yeah, don't take them for granted. 524 to 290 was the final yardage in favor of New England. And yeah. 13 of 19 on third down, the New England Patriots. You mentioned that phantom roughing the passer call. That was on a second down play. Who's to say they wouldn't have converted yeah. the next play for third down anyway? Yeah. The other right. uh, one last note on that game 
a lot of people mad that a coin flip determined the possession. Kansas City never got to touch the ball again. You could argue, well, then make a stop on one of the three third downs and you get the ball back. Are you a fan of the NFL's overtime rules? I think it stinks. I I tweeted after the game. I think it's just it's crazy the way they do it. I think it's totally unfair. And I know the argument is, and you just mentioned it, Christian, that, uh, well, so what? You lose the toss, then your defense needs to go out and stop the other team. That's all well and good to say that. But in a game like that, uh, you know, where the teams are virtually exhausted, the defenses in particular are exhausted at the end of the game, and Kansas City's in this case in particular because they've been on the field so much, you know, you give New England the ball in overtime chances are they're going to run it down the field and score a touchdown and win the game. And that's what they did. And the same with Kansas City. They won the toss. It's just, it struck me ever since they've had this overtime rule as so unfair. And they tweaked it a bit a couple of years ago. But it's still a matter. If you win the toss and score a touchdown, the game is over. The other team doesn't get a chance. And I just think it's it's wrong. I think the CFL version of overtime is so much more sensible and there's been, you know, a lot of talk today about this overtime rule. Some people uh, still think it's okay, but I would say the majority are on my side. And I don't know how you feel, but I, I just think it's uh, it's wrong. It worked great for New England mm-hmm. when they tossed that coin yesterday. I was watching the game with a bunch of other people, and I said, whoever wins the coin toss is going to win the game. Yep. They just are because they're going to go down and score a touchdown, and that's what happened. In the other game, the Saints won the coin toss in overtime, did not win the game right. because of an interception, but the right. talk of that game is a, just an awful, one of the worst, maybe the worst missed call in the history of professional football with an obvious pass interference. And we mentioned the CFL again, the comparisons that yep. you can review pass interference in the CFL. You can't in the NFL. They're going to look at it. I'd imagine they're going to probably put that in place. But yep. have you seen a worse call than that? No, I don't think ever. And and over the years, you, you see a lot of bad calls in all sports that you kind of shake your head about. But that one really took the cake. And wa- watching some of the American TV networks today, they referenced the CFL rule mm-hmm. uh, many times and said, you know, the CFL has a, a rule you can challenge for pass interference and it's overturned half the time. And they said it's time for the NFL to go that route. But, boy, you, you just have to feel sorry for New Orleans. You really do. And how the officials could miss that There was one. two people right there. Yeah, it, it's just... Uh, it's inexcusable. It really is, and I expect uh, from a league level there'd be some discipline against the referees involved so. in, in one fashion or another. But uh, it's really criminal because you know if they call that as they should, with what was left a minute and forty something, and the Rams had one timeout left. Yeah, chances are New Orleans runs the clock pretty much out. Yep, and I think everybody would agree that they they probably win the game, almost certainly win the game if the correct call is made. Now, give, I give the Rams a lot of credit for coming back. Jared Goff got off to a terrible start, but came on, and, man, he showed his stuff. Zerline kicks the 57-yard. And he would have been good from 70. Oh, it was an unbelievable kick. But the missed call is yeah. is the thing that screams out at you. And the magnitude, Christian, of a, of a mistake like that, you've denied New Orleans a chance to play in the Super Bowl. Think about that. That's what that call did, and that's, man, I can't think of anything more extreme than that. Yeah, you can always point to one play like that or the D Ford lining off offside that yeah. cost them a pick that would have sealed the game, but they still had chances after that to still win the game. Sure. That's always the caveat there. Before- How'd you like to be D Ford? Oh. Right? <laughs> you know, how do you line up that far offside? I don't get in that. the game. 
They didn't really talk about that on the broadcast much. But uh, before I let you go, as a broadcaster, you must love Tony Romo. Oh, I do. I think he's fantastic. You know, (laughs) there's such a sort of a gleeful approach. Oh, my gosh, yes. The way he does color, he's laughing about things. Oh, here's what we're going to see now. Tom Brady's got the ball with a minute 40 left. You know, I just... It's great stuff. It's animated. It's uh, it's exciting. It's bubbly. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's great. I think all the color guys are good, but uh, boy, he certainly uh, he's a natural, is what he is. Mm-hmm. Who do you get? Uh, it's two weeks away, but yeah. you gonna pick the Patriots? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I, <laughs> how do you go against them? I I know the Rams had what were they fifteen and three this year. Uh, you know, they had the great record and everything else. But, no, I'm I'm going with the Patriots all the way. As long as Brady's upright, uh, you know, I just think they'll find a way. And, and they didn't last year, but they came awfully close. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet against them. Who no. would? I, at this point, you'd be foolish, especially if you bet against them the last two rounds, like I know some people who have. But. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people have. A lot of people wrote them off and uh, – I think that fuels them, you know, a little bit. Oh, a little. Sure. They, yeah, you can see it the way they've motivated themselves because they're the ultimate overdog, right? They've won everything yeah. and they always win. So, yeah. if people people are looking for a way to bet against them, but it's yeah. he's at nine Super Bowls, nine. I know it's unbelievable, and you know, some people say, "Well, why not? We hate seeing the same team there all the time." Well, I'm not in that camp. You know, if you're great and you you have a great team, I can't get enough of them. And the Belichick, uh, Brady, Gronk uh, storylines are, you know, I just think they're great regardless of how long they last. All right, Bobby, appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to me tonight. (laughs) Okay, Christian, anytime. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.